If you're looking for a title of our teaching time this afternoon, here it is. God's gifts make us mighty in spirit. God's gifts make us mighty in spirit. Heavenly Father, bless our time this afternoon. Uh, Lord, as, as we take apart some of these weightier matters, Lord, as we unpack spiritual gifts, help us to, to not just determine what our spiritual gift is, but Lord, help us to be able to use it uh, correctly. Help us to identify its weaknesses, its strengths. Most importantly, Lord, help our, our lives to be such that you can manifest yourself in us through this spiritual gift. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Romans chapter 13 and verse 8, the Apostle Paul writes this, Owe no man anything but to love one another, for he that loveth one another hath fulfilled the law. Here's the proposition for you this afternoon. As you and I exercise our spiritual gifts, we experience personal fulfillment and a deep sense of joy. By the way, let me just stop there. Let me finish it, then I'll come back to that. By concentrating on our gifts, we achieve maximum fruitfulness with minimum weariness. The world today longs for joy, a deep sense of joy, and fulfillment. Look at everything and understand that when I say the world, I'm re referencing those who are lost. Everything that the world does today seeks to accomplish that in their life. They, they, they will try beauty products to beds to lifestyles to everything to bring themselves a, closer to a sense of joy. I would ask us almost um, rhetorically, what can bring them joy? Because really the answer is nothing. No matter what they try, no matter what they seek after, the world's never going to find that sense of joy. Um, it, it, and as far as personal fulfillment, that, that kind of goes right along with it. Because at the end of the day for us, I'll speak for me, at the end of the day for me, I know a couple things that I'm pretty positive of. That when my time here on earth is done, and God takes this old, decrepit body at whatever age he wants to. Today, it's feeling like that. Um, I know that I'm heading to heaven. That's, that, that, that's a matter set in stone that, that isn't in question. But I also know this, that all that I've done has been to advance the kingdom of God. I may not have done everything right and correct, I've made some mistakes along the way, and, and, and God has had to chastise me, and, and, and I've had to take some correction and instruction and in righteousness so that the man of God may be complete, that that's my sense of fulfillment, is that at the end of the day, that I have done all that I could for God. If it's possible in your mind this afternoon, think of, uh, of the world's train of thought. We, we, have, we have a worldview that's a little bit different. Anybody here fear death? Now, there's certain types of death I fear because I'm arachnophobic, all right? This time of the year is the worst. Um, yesterday, I was, I was moving uh, my hose winding assembly from my house to here, and we split the hose, and we, and we used two of them. I knew going out because I had seen it the other day when I was watering my potato plants that there were some arachnids that loved my little wind-up thingy because I saw some huge spider webs. So I went out there prepared. 
I turned on the water hose, first of all, because I have an old one, so I, I hooked that one up, disconnect. And so I sprayed it down first. But I also know this. Water's not just going to get them. So I also came prepared with that stuff that, that kills insects on contact because I just started playing with the handle and, and winding the hose and winding the hose. And sure enough, pretty soon, it had to have been six feet long, or so it seemed to my eyes, this spider that presented himself. And I went, ha, 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 there's Big Daddy. And, and, and immediately took that stuff, and I, and I soaked every bit of that hose down in him. I don't know where he met his demise, all right, but uh, he, he did, you know, and, and I fear that, but I don't fear death. I have hope based on the Word of God, based on, uh, on my profession of faith in Jesus Christ, that when it is done here, there's something better waiting for me. As described in the Word of God, a place where there's no tears, there's no death, there's no sorrow, sin isn't even allowed the possibility of sin isn't even there. I have hope that there's something greater. What does the world have today? That, by the way, that brings me joy. Even in difficult days and trials, that brings me joy. What does the world really have to look forward to? Uncertainty, ever-changing the goalpost, and that's kind of the buzz phrase of the day. And then at the end of it all, do they have any hope? They have, they're hopeful, but they don't really have any hope because it's based in nothing. And so as we look at some of these things, understand this, when we fully commit ourselves to living the Romans 12 life, that complete sacrifice, then we come to God's understanding of what He has for you and I. And so as we exercise our spiritual, our, our gifts, we experience personal fulfillment and a deep sense of joy here, only to be topped by what we're going to come uh, in heaven. By concentrating on our gifts, we achieve then maximum fruitfulness with minimum weariness. In other words, this, now the very first time you've heard this phrase, work smarter, not harder, <laughs> in a spiritual sense. Take the gift that God has given you and maximize it to its fullest potential because when we do that with our gift, it's God that's doing it. It's not us. And it's God that does it. Spiritual gifts are, as 1 Peter 4.10 relates to us, they're, they're an expression of the manifold grace of God. Remember this, the gift that you have given to you at salvation is a, an expression of the grace of God. 1 Peter 4.10 says this, as every man hath received the gift... Even so, minister the same one to another as good stewards, and here he says, of the manifold grace of God. Just as there are many gifts, there are many ways to organize them and to study them. You may have heard it differently at some point or another, but the following division, all right, that we're going to use for this study has brought joy and freedom to thousands of Christians who have wondered, what is my spiritual gift? And how do I use it? effectively for them. So a couple things that we want to go over this, this afternoon. Number one is this. What are the purpose of spiritual gifts? Um, let's do this. Um, Tyler, 1 Corinthians, oh no, I'm not going to have you read three chapters. Just put down 1 Corinthians 12. I thought it was 12, 1 through 4, but when I closed this eye and looked at it through my good contact, it's 12 through 14. 
Spiritual gifts are found in 1 Corinthians uh, chapters 12 to 14. Each person who's born again into the family of God takes on a debt of love that's designed to motivate us to fulfill the law of God. Thus, hang on just a second. Thus, we're instructed to fulfill that. Um, here in Romans 13, 8 um, is the verse that we started with today that said, Owe no man anything uh, but to love one another, for he that loveth one another hath fulfilled the law of God. God gives spiritual gifts so that we're able to pay or to begin to, to, to offer back this um, what God gave to us, and that's a debt of love. Number two, here's the question, who's given a spiritual gift? All right, Romans chapter 8, if you want to go back to there. And again, some of this uh, we're not going to spend a lot of time on because we've covered it at various topics. But Romans chapter 8, Tyler, read, read verses 16 and 17. All right. Every Christian at salvation is given a spiritual gift. The spiritual gift is activated when the Holy Spirit unites with our spirit and bears witness that we are a child of God, according to Romans chapter 8 and verse 16 that Tyler read for us there. All right. So it's not separate steps. Understand what happens. One of the many things that takes place at salvation. All right. At salvation... When we're breaking it down biblically, and, and sometimes we, we, we keep adding to it because we learn what happens, all right? So we're forgiven a debt that we could not pay. We're very clear on that from the Word of God, all right? That's our sin debt, that we're unable to pay ourselves. Only Christ's sacrifice on the cross is able to do that for us. That's forgiven completely in its whole. All God's people said, amen for that. That's done and gone. That's over with, all right? What else takes place? All right, we know that we're sealed by the Holy Spirit or the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Okay, that's not something that happens independently, and that's not something that's ongoing that has to take place. You know, as as you get more and more understanding of uh, of growing in grace and all that. No, it happens. We are immediately indwelled by the Holy Spirit of God the, the, from from day one. I mean, you know, sometimes w when you get insurance coverage, you know, there's a 90 day period, or the, you know, there's no. This is instantaneous. All right, we're baptized with the Holy Spirit at that point. God's Spirit comes to live within us. All right, at that exact time, again, we're talking not even nanoseconds in between. This all happens as we get saved. All right, as well, we're given as we're, as we're filled by the Holy Spirit of God. All right, a spiritual gift. All right, one uh, motivational spiritual gift. We're going to get a couple others, but in the category of motivation, it's one spiritual gift. Why is that? Because God sees what we can't at that point. Many folks who are saved are saved from a very rough lifestyle. They're saved out of the garbage and the bondage of this world to the nth degree. Um, they, they, they are what we would call uh, the unshackled salvation testimonies, those whom God miraculously saves from the terrors of sin. Others, maybe not so much, maybe grew up in a Christian home. All right, but no matter what you got saved, what kind of lifestyle you got saved in, all right, it's the sin debt that's all canceled and thrown away. 
we're, we're sealed by the Holy Spirit. We're given a spiritual gift so that we can serve God. And you see, it's ongoing. And, and, and this growing in grace is a process of that. Um, when we were born physically, all right, don't, don't get a spiritual gift con, um, confused with certain natural abilities, okay? Some people have certain natural abilities um, just based on, you know, whether they were saved or not, all right? Um, there are people that can play the piano beautifully in our church. There are people who are unsaved that can play the piano just as beautifully, if not even more beautifully if you're still awake, okay? That, that happens. That, that, that's a, a natural ability. When we're born spiritually, God takes our natural abilities and he turns them into means by which he can work through us in a supernatural way. So I need everyone to go to the book of Ephesians, please. Ephesians chapter number four. All right, we're going to start reading in verse eight and we're going to kind of work through uh, verse 13 here. We'll probably just read them all, and then we'll work through a couple of different things. Here's what Paul says in Ephesians 4, starting in verse 8. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Um, now that he ascended, what, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that descended up far above the heavens, that he might fill all things. Verse 11 and he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the state of the fullness of Christ. All right? He gave gifts. Why? All right? That's found down there um, in verse 12. All right? All of that happens and the gifts that he lists, here's why we get the gift. First of all, is for the perfecting of the saints. Now, understand, when the Bible's talking about perfecting of the saints, it's not talking about making perfect, okay? That would be so nice, but we can't do that. As much as we teach and train our young people, they still have some inerrant flaws in their life, okay? That's just going to happen. But it's making us complete in Christ. In other words, taking that gift that God has giving the, given them, and refining it, making it even, even more useful. So consider this, we're saved. That means we all have a spiritual gift given to us at the moment uh, of salvation, all right? Part of what the responsibility of what we learned this morning, this new group of people called the church is to do, is to perfect that. In other words, recognize. In other words, come alongside of somebody you know, either by their admission or, or by their understanding or even by our observation, realizing what their spiritual gift is and doing what? Helping them to become complete in Christ by using that spiritual gift. So you see, it's not about ourselves. We live in such a me-first world that, that it's awful because everything from, from, from the products that we use to, to care for ourselves to to what we live, drive, wear, et cetera, you can go on. It's all about you and your comfort. But now when it comes to a spiritual gift, this entity called a church is to take and develop that spiritual gift. Why else? Why? That's point number two, for the work of the ministry. People that would have a gift of teaching or evangelizing or preaching, listen, 
it is inerrant upon the church, by the way, and, I, and I'm going to say this and, and, and help understand this, but it's not the Bible college's responsibility to teach a man how to preach and teach. Yes, as a graduate of Maranatha, I'm saying this as a pastor, graduate from Maranatha, having preacher, working with preacher boys, you know what it is? It's the local church's responsibility. That was never given away. Now, I, I, I don't believe at all that Maranatha is attempting to do that, but I'll say this, a lot of churches have abdicated that responsibility and they just, just simply ship their young men off and say, learn how to preach somewhere. Listen, that's the church. That's us. Why do you think it is that we need to teach proper doctrine and theology in a church? Because we have young men and young ladies who are learning to preach and to teach. They need to hear it here, not wait until they're 18-year-old young adults and head off to a Bible college. It's for us here. They, they don't just start getting used by God once they've graduated from an approved Bible college with a diploma. No, that doesn't happen. They can be used now at whatever age they are. For, so we're given that spiritual gift for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, and lastly, this, for the edifying of the whole body of Christ. That thing we talked about this morning, the church. Yeah. We all need to be using our spiritual gifts right now. Why? Because there are folks in here that are struggling. There are folks in here going through trials and tribulations. There are folks in here that just need someone to come alongside them, and you need to be one or the other. You need to be looking for someone to see you in your distress and your trials and come alongside you. Maybe yes, and let's indict all of ourselves, sometimes in our spiritual immaturity, to come alongside of us and to give us that correction, instruction, and righteousness. But if we're not all actively doing this, if we're all just sitting in our one own little person bubble and we're not getting out of it, we're never going to do it. And think of this. I started with talking about how unfulfilled the world must be. But can you imagine us standing before God at the judgment seat of Christ, not to be judged for our sins, but to give an account for the spiritual gift and how we use it in the place that God has called us? That's what we're going to stand and give an account for according to Scripture. And, and, and if we can't give an account of how we've used our spiritual gift that we've hit it, or, or, you know, Lord, I was too busy doing something else, and, and I just stayed in my, you know, let's go back to the parable, you know, of the, of the talents. Don't be the one who knew that his Lord was, was, was a hard man with money, and, and he was a prosperous man, and, and being scared of losing that, he didn't invest it, and he didn't use it, and he buried that talent. And, and what did that Lord say to him when he came back? Unwise, foolish. Let me take it from you. One day we'll stand and we'll give an account to God. May it be how we used our talent for the, for the completion of the saints, for the work of the ministry, and for the edifying of the whole body of Christ. And by the way, that, that verse ends by saying this, till we all come in the unity of the faith. We've mentioned this on several occasions and I'll continue to mention it. One of the things that must be present in a church body for unity to happen is that you have people that are actively practicing their spiritual gifts. 
It doesn't all come when we just all have the main, same mindset and we think about the same colors or the, the, the same texture or, or the same quality of whatever it is that the ministry is purchasing or that we're satisfied with, with the facilities or that we're satisfied with, with the income and the outflow of money and we're satisfied with some of these temporal administrative things. That's not where unity comes from. This unity that can only be achieved when every one of us is actively per, uh, pursuing and actively using our spiritual gifts, that's when we all come in the unity of the faith because then we begin to see this. Your spiritual gift, by the way, will never promote you. That's why there can be unity in spiritual gifts. Your spiritual gift never puffs you up. Your spiritual gift never causes you to look down on others, but it always causes you to look outward to see exactly where it is that you can help someone, some family, some individual or individuals. And ultimately, it leads to the exact purpose of this new creation, this group of people called the church. And it's when we can look out and see the world. And you know what? As the world needs salvation, you know what it helps us do? It helps us to look past the pink mohawk. <laughs> it helps us to look past the 27 studs and, 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 and facial piercings. It helps us to look back or, or to look past the unpleasant smell or, or the egregious lifestyle. Not to say that we're, we're never going, go, go, going to challenge that going forward, but it helps us to look past some of those temporal things that, that sometimes in our prejudices, we say, boy, you know, before we're going to let this person in our church to hear the gospel, they're going to take a bath. You know, they're going to get rid of those, those piercings. They're going to, they're, you know, they're, they're, they're going to start living a lifestyle that, that, Apparently, they should know that they should be living when they don't know Christ. You see the foolishness sometimes in our thing. By the way, your spiritual gift will never lead you down that path. It will always lead you to the path of meeting a need, whether it's here in the body of Christ first or in the world out there as you bring them salvation. And that's how God works. Number three, how many spiritual gifts do each Christian have or does each Christian have? All right. If you're going to write down a verse, it's 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verses 4 through 7, all right? And I've, I've alluded to this. There's three main types of gifts. There's motivation gifts, ministry gifts, and then there's manifestation, all right? Each Christian has one motivational gift and the possibility of many ministry gifts, all right? So go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, if you will. We're going to look at a couple verses here in Scripture to help you understand where this comes from. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 4. Doug, can you read uh, verses 4 and 5, please? All right, go ahead and read verse 6. I'm sorry. All right, a couple things about this. Number one, all right, the word gift means grace. As we looked at uh, previously, uh, several weeks ago, God gives to his children the desire and the power to do his perfect will. Secondly, the word administration there, all right, is the same root word as the word used for deacon. It relates to the serving in the ministries and the outreach of the local church. 
All right, and then number three, the word operations is the equivalent to the word energy. As God gives power through our motivational gift, the effects produced by it are the operations or the manifestations of the Spirit. All right, Peter emphasized over in first, or Second Peter chapter 4, verse 10, if you want to write that down, Peter emphasizes the singularity of the motivational gifts when he stated this. In that verse, he says, as every man hath received the gift... Even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. All right, so those are defining uh, or outlining our categories as we go forward and, and, and the basis for them. Number four, then this afternoon, why do we only receive one motivational gift? All right, going back to Romans chapter 12, if you will, Romans chapter 12, all right, a couple things about that. Why? Do we only received one motivational gift? Um, in verses 3 through 8, this is where it is, and we've read this before, so we're not going to read it again. But the first thing that we see in this passage is this, so we can concentrate on it, all right? Sometimes it's difficult. In fact, studies have shown, and, and I'm not going to tell you the studies because, number one, I don't know. Number two, look it up for yourself. But uh, anyway, um, studies have shown that really we can't multitask. How many think you're a multitasker? Yeah, I am. I can forget several things in, in a matter of just minutes, so I can multitask. But we're really not. What happens is, is we spend less and less energy on each thing that we think that we're doing, so ultimately we're not giving maximum effort on the one thing that we're concentrating on, and then moving on to the next one. And so with that in mind, all right, especially these, these uh, motivational gifts, the important uh, I wouldn't say the important ones, but the ones that, that clearly deal um, with what we do um, inside as far as the teaching and the preaching ministry of the church so that we can concentrate on it. Number two, so that we can see our need for each other, all right? A car, if you think about a car, all right, it's designed to carry out uh, different functions. Let's do this. Let's, let's use an easier example. The human body, all right? Um, the ear, all right? It has a function all of its own. You are exercising the gift of your ear right now. One of the functions of your ear, and that's to hear. Okay? You're hearing me talk about your ear. All right? And I can describe all the different parts of your ear and some that don't work as you begin to lose your hearing and all that. But we know this, that its function, the ear, is different than the eye. Okay? Your eyes have a completely different function. They don't hear a thing. Okay? Your ears don't see a thing. Okay? They have complete different functions. All right? Your hand. All right? There's a lot of things you can do with your hand. But you know what? It's different from every other part of your body other than the other hand. And then sometimes it's different because you can do more with your right than your left. Or if you're left-handed, you can do more with your left than your right. All right? Gifts are distributed so that no one single Christian, according to verse 3... Um, will think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. If you think about this, if God gave all one member all seven motivational gifts, all right, he certainly would be an individual that we could look at and say, boy, that person's self-sufficient. And then you know what happens? A person who begins to think that they're self-sufficient in and of themselves, that they know it all, they can do it all that they've seen it all, they've experienced it all. You know what happens? They don't need God. What a crazy thing, but yet it would happen. 
that someone who is given every one of these seven motivational gifts by God would at some point go, I'm sorry, God, now I don't need you because I can do it all. You would think, Pastor, that would happen? <laughs> yep. The heart's deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can control it? <laughs> Even though these gifts were given by God, by the Holy Spirit, at the sealing, at salvation, for the advancement of the church, yes, a broken, sinful human being who had all seven would say, God, now I don't need you. It kind of sounds as stupid as, you know, let's just say that, that, that God led a, a, a group of people out of the wilderness and performed miracles uh, for them. He, he performed 10 plagues to, to make a mockery of the Egyptians' God. He, he parted the Red Sea for them. Uh, they got on the other side, and, and God began to do all these miracles. And so as their leader went up into the mountain to get the written law from God, they would go, boy, we just don't know when Moses is going to come back. I got an idea. Let's make, a, uh, let's make a, uh, an idol, a golden idol, this calf, and let's worship it. And when they finished, they said, you know what? It was this calf right here that we just created that did all those plagues back in Egypt. And it was this gold-made calf that we just formed that, that parted the Red Sea, that protected. It was this calf, and you would say, boy, that's dumb. But we know what happened, didn't we? That's what the children of Israel did. So yes, if God gave one individual all seven motivational gifts, he wouldn't need God. But second of all, you know what else he wouldn't need? The church. He wouldn't need this institution called the church because he would possess it all himself. And, and you know what? He wouldn't need you and, and he wouldn't want to be around you because you only have one. And he's so much better. And yes, because that's us as broken human beings. That's exactly what would happen. And so God, foreseeing all of that, said this, I'm going to give you one so that you not only see your need for me, but you see your need for others, that then you wouldn't forsake the assembling of yourselves together because you would have no need of them because you had all seven gifts for yourself. One member had of all these, they would certainly feel just self-sufficient and they wouldn't need God or one another. So lastly, this afternoon... Number five, how do we discover our motivational gift? How is it that you and I dig deep and we say, all right, if I've got one of these, and by the way, you do, how do I find them? Well, here's what you do. First one seems awfully simplistic, but yet you know how many times as someone who's been saved later in life, who sat through hundreds of church services, who's sat through preaching after preaching, who's, who's taught and worked and evangelized and done all this, come to the realization that at some point in their life, they were never saved. Well, here's how you discover your motivational gift. Accept Christ as your Savior. And again, like I said, that seems awfully simplistic, but you know what? That's exactly where we start, making sure that we placed our faith in Jesus Christ. Number two, post-salvation. If you say, Pastor, I'm there, that's great. Here's where we go. Romans chapter 6, 7, and 8. Here's what you do. Enter into Christ's victory over sin. Oh, how many times have I referred to these chapters? About our freedom chapter. There it is, Christian. Because that's what you're saying that you are. Get victory over sin. It's found in these chapters. The apostle Paul uses rhetorical question 
after rhetorical question in chapter 6, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And he answers it for you, no. Don't presume upon the grace of God. In chapter 7, uh, he, he talks about our struggles because he was us. <laughs> he was an individual. The apostle Paul struggled with sin. And he describes for us so graphically in the second part of chapter 7 some of his struggles. But that's so that he could get to chapter 8 and say this, There is thou therefore no condemnation to them which are in Jesus Christ, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. All right, that's what it is. Walking after the Spirit. It's significant that the spiritual gifts in Romans, they're not explained in the first chapter of Romans. Or the second chapter. Or the third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth, or eleventh. The Paul waits until the second part of chapter 12. Why is that? Because until we yield ourselves to the Spirit of God in our life, until we become, as he says there in, in, in the first part of Romans 12:1, that living sacrifice. Well, how do you do that, Pastor? Go back and read Romans 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7. 8, 9, 10, and 11, because when we there, when we're there, when we've, we've been saved, when we begin to get the victory over sin in our lives, and we begin to manifest godliness in our lives and live holy like God, then God can take and use our spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts, they're useless, and they're unusable to their fullest extent when we still have sin in our life that keeps us from serving God. Once it's been identified, one has been dealt with in the believer's life, then our gift can be used to its fullest. Understand this today, that if you and I want to hang on to a sin and protect it, that not only will you miss the blessings of God, but you'll become a hindrance and a weight to God's program in the church. I've often stated that in Western culture, the American church has become a church of church hoppers. People who routinely and regularly, just up and leave. And that's not to, to threaten anyone. That's not to, to degrade anyone or to point out anyone in particular. But understand this, that if you're frustrated because God's not using your spiritual gift in the church, the first place to look is inward. Because moving to a new place doesn't automatically make you more yielded to God in your life. And understand this, that God can't fully use you until you are willing to lay on the altar and be that living sacrifice, and then God can use you. Number three, concentrate on the needs of others. When we get to Romans 12, and we become that living sacrifice, and now we begin to use our spiritual gifts, and only once we begin to use our spiritual gifts will we confirm and see the needs of others, and for their gifts as well. You say, Pastor, I don't know what their spiritual gift is. Maybe you've not made it yet to Romans 12. Maybe you've not completely yielded yourself. There's no way you can see in others what you can't see in yourself, because sin is clouding your, your vision within yourself. It's also clouding your vision of others as well. Number four, identify what it is that folks do that irritate you. You say, wow, all right, explain that one to me, Pastor. Sure, all right, 1 John chapter 3, 
uh, in, in verse 16. In fact, let me go there. Because this just sounds like how to get along at recess. All right. First John chapter 3 and verse 16 says this, Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. All right. Most Christians fail to understand that their spiritual gifts allow them to see the needs that are overlooked by those with other gifts. Rather than frustrating them, this should be their signal to confirm their gift and to use them to help others see what they see. It's like two magnets. There's a way that two magnets won't come together. I don't even know what that's called. Some science person out there probably knows. But, you know, you can move them all around, and those magnets just aren't going to attract. And, and it's almost like those, those magnets are irritated by one another. But what happens if you flip them around? They go together. And now you really got to pull the magnets apart depending on their strength. What happens? When you're not using your spiritual gift, people are going to irritate you. <laughs> they are. You're going to be like them two magnets that won't come together. Why? Because you just can't understand why they can't see what you're seeing. Well, what you're not seeing is their spiritual gift, and you can't see that because there's something within your life that's keeping you from seeing that and working together. Remember these things about God. God's not a mystery. He's not a God of mystery or confusion or chaos. God doesn't want us to be like unattractive magnets. He wants us to be like the side that comes together like this because when you put magnets together like this, boy, you can use them, can't you? You can pull, tug, suspend things. But boy, apart, man, they just, they, they scatter. In fact, you know, that one will try to come near it and it'll try to get away. You ever see that happen in a church? Sure. And we focus so much, oftentimes on personality rather than spiritual gifts. And we say, well, you know, Pastor, we just, our uh, personalities don't mesh. Why? Why is that? Because you're not seeing their spiritual gift, which means somehow you're not seeing in completion your spiritual gift, which also means this, that you're not seeing it because somewhere along the line there's sin in your life that's keeping you from using and maximizing it to the fullest. Number five, distinguish the characteristic and misuses of each gift. In Mark chapter 14, I'm going to go there real quick. Mark chapter 14. In verse 38, through that eye, it looked like 18, but it's actually verse 38. It says, when Christ was in the garden, he said this, watch and pray. Why did he say that to the disciples there? Lest you enter into temptation. The spirit truly is ready, but the flesh is weak. Most of our problems, inner church problems, interpersonal problems, come when we try to fulfill our spiritual gift in the energy of our flesh. Can I say that again? Most problems within the church come when you and I try to fulfill our spiritual gifts in the energy of the flesh. He said, watch and pray. The spirit is ready, but the flesh is weak. We have to acknowledge our own weakness. We have to, to be energized or work through the power and the energy not provided by our physicalness. You see, what, what, there's, there's, there's two things that happen when we try to do it in our own physical energy. Number one is this, in the zest and the zeal of youth, we've got all the energy to run 500 miles an hour, to work 20 hours a day in a ministry, to never sleep, to never minister to our family, never minister to ourselves. better yet, never to see the gifts of others. Why? Because we are always there. We are doing every single thing because we've got that energy and what happens? Well, you get a little bit older and, and maybe you can't go quite as long. 
and then you get to, to, to be in your 40s and 50s, and your body really begins to show you that, hey, that's probably not what God has. And then you get into your 60s and 70s, you become frustrated because you can't do physically anymore what God has called you to do. But understand this, that your gift was never meant to be done in the energy of your flesh or your age. Your spiritual gift isn't dependent on your age. It was always meant to be done in the spirit or the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what God designed for us. And that's what happens. Most Christians who discover their spiritual gifts have done so by detecting sometimes the misuses of their natural abilities. And we're going to get into that as we unpack these gifts further. Here's the conclusion this afternoon. Wrapping it all up into this statement, this. Knowing we each have a gift that is invaluable to the correct workings of the body of Christ, this church. We're able to achieve a deeper level of self-acceptance or seeing ourselves for who we really are and purpose God's perfect will in life. We're able to have a deeper level of self-acceptance and purpose in life. And ultimately, when we get there, you know what comes? That joy and the fulfillment that we started with, that the world today can't ever know. Look at the number of folks who've won the lottery. Look at the number of professional athletes making millions upon millions to play a game. To the people maybe who have come into an inheritance of money. Because as I said, each one of those, you know what your mind thought of? Not the success stories, but the train wrecks, right? Most lottery winners are broke within five to ten years after winning it. They live empty lives, always chasing that elusive fulfillment and joy. Athletes, how many athletes that have just made millions are today working nine to five jobs because they blew it all? You know, I've often said, you know, just I'll take one game check, you know, from some of these star athletes. People that have inherited money don't have a good, solid work ethic to go behind it. We know what happens. That's never going to bring the fulfillment of joy and contentment, yet the world keeps running and keeps racing for it. Christian friend, this afternoon, it's found not necessarily in just doing more for God, not necessarily just in, in, in putting in more time and effort to being here longer at the church. That's not where it's found. But it's found in identifying your spiritual gift that God gave you at salvation. All that you can about it. And then beginning to use it to bring about a couple things. Number one, that fulfillment, that joy, that happiness that even your flesh craves. Because that's what we all want. And it's found in Jesus Christ. It's found, Christian friend, not just in coming to church, not just being here, not just participating in tithing, or not just participating in, in, in calling night. And those things aren't bad. And just because you're doing them doesn't make you bad. But I want you to understand that it's an internal thing. You have to determine why and what you're doing it for. And if you're using it, and if you're using your spiritual gift to do those things, man, man then keep doing it. I'm not trying to discourage you at all today. But I'm trying to take those who have just sat on the sidelines and said, well, that's just not my gift. My gift is just, you know, 
doing my job and God gave me, you know, some math ability or God gave me some, some deductive reasoning ability and so, you know, I'm just going to use that and I'm going to be a farmer or I'm going to do this. Listen, no. It's about saying this, I got it. One of these that we'll get into next week, these seven motivational gifts. I've got one. Now, how can I use it here to further the work, to help one another, to encourage one another? And ultimately, that and only that brings the fulfillment, the joy, and the happiness. Let's pray. Father God, sometimes when we begin to put Scripture together and we begin to, to recognize that maybe we're chasing after unicorns and fanciful ideas. Lord, we're asking as a church body, I'm asking as the pastor of this church body, that you would help each one of us in the coming weeks to identify what it is that we have. Which motivational gift is it? And Father, Lord, how can I, as an individual, begin now to develop that, being ever so cautious of the weaknesses and the, and the, and the traps that befall that gift? And how can I help use it to bring glory to God here at Calvary Baptist Church in Jefferson? That, Lord, I need to, to, to do my part because that's what's going to bring me individual joy and happiness. That, Father God, without it, we're just going to be playing church. We're just going to be sitting and, and accomplishing nothing for you. And, Lord, that's what we desire. We desire to be a church that as we learned this morning, the angels look down at in amazement <clears throat> as they watch us work one with another in the unity of the Spirit, mystified and amazed at what former enemies brought together, sealed by the Holy Spirit, given a gift can do in the power of God, remembering that this church, that even the gates of hell can't prevail against it. Father, in your greatness, and in your love, and in you being who you are, we're asking today for each one of us to go and to search that out. Father, we pray this week, give us safety as we travel with the young people. Lord, we pray for each one of them that go. We pray for their salvation. We pray for their dedication. We pray that as we come back home and there's a need for discipleship, that not just the youth leaders, because they're working with the youth, but that each one of us would take it upon ourselves to reach out to the young people, their families, most of whom don't come and share with them what Jesus Christ can do to transform their life. May you start with each one of us as individuals. Oh, Father, we thank you today for being who you are. May what we do this week honor and glorify Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen.